thank you so much for joining us once again. It is a live show. It is Friday the 11th. As of the recording of this, I've got a lot of beautiful women around me, just wonderful ladies of the night, and their request to go ahead and bring you a wonderful weekend just a little bit quicker than it would have been before. It is such interesting times right now, and I'm here to give you a fun and gracious show. I'm in much better weather and much better straits than I was last week, just in case anybody's worried about uh, if I'm cold or anything like that. Not at all. Been going along, getting along here to give you a wonderful day. Slept beautifully with the cat. Ate wonderfully the last couple of days. I haven't had any booze in a week. I basically haven't had any booze uh, in two weeks. I've had beer once in the last two weeks. I've had chili every day, pretty much. A little bit of chili, at least a tablespoon of chili in one dish or another. Uh, Mr. Tums has taken that down real well. Started making a... Started trying to perfect a new recipe. Getting it down pretty good. Already made it twice. Dutch babies. It's just a big fancy pancake that you that you make in a cast iron skillet. I think I I think after the second time around, I got a little bit closer and I figured out what I need to do. It's basically just heat up the skillet a little bit more so it gets a little bit more puffy. But um, already already the Dutch babies I'm making, I'm like I haven't ordered a pancake in years. I haven't ordered a pancake in years because it's flour, you know, it's batter, and then you pour it on a griddle and then you flip it. So ordering it really kind of feels like a betrayal. Like, yeah, I don't want to make pancakes, but I definitely don't want to pay $20 for somebody else to do those three fucking steps. So, like, it's always been, like, I haven't ordered a pancake in in years, but I'm never going to order one again after making some Dutch babies. And I haven't even perfected it yet. So once I get it, like, down, down, never, ever, 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 ever is that going to happen. My car is still not fixed because... And I'll talk about this in a second, because the world is insane, but there's no batteries right now for me, uh, in my car, particularly. It's not like it's a strange car or anything, it's just I'm in the ass end of the world, uh, and therefore any kind of logistic issues means that there's not going to be an issue. So my battery's dead, died last week. I was so excited, and that's the reason why I haven't had beer. Uh, I was going to go out, get some beer, listen to music on a Friday night like I always do. It was going to be very, very fun. Uh, but the battery just fucking died, and it was died several days after a massive snowstorm, and I just stayed in for all that, too. So I had nothing in the house, and I didn't even get all miserable or pouty about it. I just made what I could with what I had, put a grocery delivery in with a big tip for the next day because there's going to be some snow and ice still on the ground, and I'm very proud of myself for that. I really am. Got a grocery delivery. It was great. It's all fucking flour and eggs and fruit and lean protein. You know, I've been doing really, really well treating myself so far in 2022. Uh, The last thing that you guys are asking about, the bike is also delayed. But again, I'll be talking about that in just a second in what you guys will consider a horrible betrayal of everything. I know. I know. That's why I'm starting off so strong and so smooth tonight and telling you guys all about the good stuff and everything that's happening. Because now it's time for the horrible betrayal where daddy makes a promise and then breaks it. And you all knew that he was going to fucking break it. And you all knew it. It was just a matter of time. So let's just get the betrayal out of the way right at the fucking start. 
So there's some shit going on because of COVID right now in the world, and I just gotta talk about it super quick, because if you don't talk about the COVID aspect of it, then it makes everything else seem like super fucking strange, but I promise I'm not gonna go on a rant or a diatribe or yell at you all. I just have to very briefly talk about a very strange situation that's going on in the world and why I don't have beer. Now, before this goes any further, I could have beer delivered to my door. I, I have discovered that dark sacred pact after many years of how to do it. But it is a demonic fucking pact because I can't get less than 50 fucking beers delivered to my front door. There's no way to get less. It's at least 50, and, and often the least amount that I can get with the beer that I drink, 72. There's a minimum order for delivery of beer of $50, which is a lot of fucking beer. And here's the thing. I'm a, I'm a strong man. I'm a patient man. I'm capable of resisting temptation. But if you ship me 50 beers I want to drink, I'm going to drink 50 fucking beers. I don't know what else, like, not all at once, not just going to sit down and, but I will drink those 50 beers. I don't, it's not like rice that I can put in my pantry and then forget about. It's not like broccoli, which I can put in my vegetable drawer and forget about. It's beer. I always want it. All right? So it's a dark, dark pact, and I'm so proud of myself for not ordering fucking beer the last two weeks. I really am. I haven't ordered, I've only, I ordered beer over the holidays and I haven't since. But <laughs> it's that's those are my options. The last option I have is that I could go and get beer in person, like an animal, like a caveman, like an ancestor 80,000 years ago. I could physically get up, walk out, grab something, and then return to my home, like a lesser fucking animal, like a crab on Blue Planet. I could fucking do that, I guess. But there's a lot of COVID going on right now, and I'm just not doing that. I'm just not willing to risk it. So uh, I was surprised at how well the whole concept of, eh, you'll drink later. It, 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 didn't, it wasn't any fight. It wasn't any struggle. Uh, so that's just logistically where everything is. Now you're saying, Jack, COVID, that's not what you're talking about. It's not. Just real super briefly, you don't have to agree with this premise. Because as far as I can tell, all the most intelligent people that I listen to are all super confused about why the world is super fucked up right now, right this very minute, and none of them are agreeing. None of them agree at all. All of them have band-aids, and all of them say that the cracks and tears are going to get worse, but all of them are disagreeing about why. And I just need to say real briefly that Daddy's perspective on why things are really nuts with inflation and people yelling and all that right now. Daddy really believes that there's something called excess mortality. It's a measurement. And excess mortality is something that comes in when a new disaster or a new disease or war comes in. And then all of a sudden, a lot more people are dying than are quote-unquote supposed to. You get pretty used to how people are supposed to die. You go back 5, 10, 20 years. You get an average. You know how many people are about to die in a car crash or not every single year. It's kind of grisly. How many people die in a house fire? How many people die of suicide? I know. Such a fun time. I know. You're having a great time. I know. And with excess mortality shooting up everywhere all over the world right now 
what we're seeing is there's less things being bought, being made, and being shipped. And all of those things being bought and shipped are costing more because there's less people making them. And conversely, very weirdly, less people buying them. Because if you can have 10,000 people buy something regularly, you can mass produce it easier than if you have 9,000 people buying it easily, regularly. So you have a very, very, very strange situation where right now there's a lot of people who are not living anymore that were expected to. And strangely enough, these non-livers right now, they're not paying taxes. They're not making something. They're not getting in a truck to, to, to move things from one place to another. It's very strange. And that's having a lagging effect. It only really occurred to Daddy after reading the news every day for 30 years that the word supply chain is one of the most magical phrases he's ever heard in his life. Because basically what that what supply chain means, it's just two little words, supply chain. Supply, everybody knows what a chain is. And supply, everybody knows what supply is, supply chain. What never occurred to me once was supply chain was code for what every single human being on the planet produces, moves, refines, and creates. That's what supply chain actually means when you think about it. There's nothing being made by aliens. There's nothing being moved around automatically. There's nothing being thought of by a non-human actor. So literally, supply chain means everything made everywhere and moved everywhere all the time. And a lot of gaps are appearing in that. Well, apparently this is the perfect time for a bunch of goddamn dumb shits in Canada to go ahead and just lock arms around bridges with trucks and horns and all that kind of shit. And this is one of the strangest stories that's ever happened. Because the reason why Daddy's bike... And the reason why Daddy's battery are delayed is because of these Canadian motherfuckers. No joke. Really. Really. The delay in shippings are directly <laughs> related to what's going on up there. Again, it may not sound like it's all that important, but when you have 100,000 trucks not moving, that means the loads that they're carrying don't get unloaded, and that load doesn't get picked up. And the next thing that they were going to pick up doesn't get picked up. And, 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 and. So every day, 100,000 trucks are off the road. You have another hundred to 200,000 truckloads, at least, of shit that's not getting moved. So now that this has been going on for almost two fucking weeks and is exacerbating, we're talking about shit not being moved. And what that means is daddy has to risk life and death to get beer. And that's really horrible. That's a basic sum up of the events of the world right now as I see them. Not everybody agrees. I have to say, as somebody who's making something and cooking something and feels like they picked the perfect time, the perfect time to get into that hobby, the best decision I've ever made in my life is deciding to start fucking cooking because I had duck because one lady of the night walked me through a flawless duck recipe for a, for a goddamn holiday. I picked the perfect time to celebrate that one. And even I am just feeling such a pinch. Even I am starting to feel such a pinch. My two favorite dishes these days are just basically a protein plus potatoes or eggs. 
And the inflation of eggs is insane. They're 50% more than they were two years ago. The inflation in eggs is nuts. And I'm doing okay with it. But my God, I really, I look around and I see all of these costs rising with food staples left, right, and center. I'm so glad that I'm eating vegan for breakfast every morning, even though the cost of fruits jumping up pretty significantly. The cost of oil, out of this world. Olive oil in particular. My God, they were just using olive oil, excessive alcohols and oils to make alcohols in like uh, two years ago. And now the cost of oil has shot up so much that nobody would ever do that again ever in a million fucking years. So it's <laughs> it's real interesting times that we're living in. And there's absolutely, I don't think, any reason to not talk about it with everything going on. Now that's it. You can all unclench if you thought I was going to get angry or meaner about that. I apologize in the past that I have. I've been very passionate on this subject. That's a very nice word to use about it. That is the end uh, of it, just in case, again, everybody can take a deep breath. I promise it's not going to go any spiral. That's the whole of the talking about it. I do think it's fucking crazy, though. I do think we're in really interesting times that truckers, <laughs> a small amount of them on a bridge are capable of doing this. <laughs> and then the direct effect that's having on my life as a non-consumer. As someone who doesn't buy something from Amazon every month, or every other month, or every six months, or every year, because there are year-long gaps in my, in my buying a new thing history, for real. I'm very proud of that. I've talked about this before. I'm pretty anti-consumerist. I'm pretty anti-consumption. I try not to bog you guys down with that too much. I allow myself some things like locally fucking brewed beer that comes from within 50 miles and shit. But, like, I do really try not to buy new things and use the shit out of what I've got until the very end. Oh, man. And then I need two things and look what happens. And then I need two things and then look what's going on. But on the bright side, look at my voice. And I've been working really good and I've been working really well. I'm hitting stuff on time and on target. I've never gotten better reviews for my uh, for my commissions or my dates. Uh, I don't, I, I'm, you know, it feels really shitty to do this, but I feel really, really good about what I'm writing in my personal time. And I can't wait to share and show you with you for once, because this is an actual project for the world instead of just daddy on his own time. I'm really making some hay while the sun shines, uh, right now. And then as soon as, you know, I feel like I got enough done, trust me, I will buy the $50 of beer. Nobody will see me for three days. I won't see me for three days. It'll be fantastic. Don't worry. There will be an amazing, amazing amount of, like, debauchery and shit in the future. But as for right now, I am, you know, I'm here completely sober. I'm usually here completely sober these days. Uh, I don't need any weed. I don't need any caffeine. I need a hot bath. I need a stretch. And then I'm ready to come out and just knock it out for you guys. Feel real good and then cozy up afterwards. That's nice. That's progress. And I do want to highlight that because I had a really, really bad depressive episode last year. You may have noticed. It was really awful and it felt inescapable. And there was no epiphany that got me out of it. There was no step-by-step -step ladder that I can point to that got me out of it. I still live my bohemian-ass existence. 
I still sleep when I want to sleep, as long as I want to sleep, usually. Get up, do what I want to do. In fact, I was, I don't know quite how I got here, for once. <laughs> Normally, I know how I get at this subject, but I was reading about Karl Marx. I don't know how I got here. Again, usually I know how I got to reading about Karl Marx that day. I set out to. But, you know, the other day, I just kind of ended up reading Prussian uh, police reports, as you do. You know, just in my spare time, just reading about Prussian, a country that hasn't existed in 170 years. Prussian police reports, you yeah. And uh, they had this whole police report on Karl Marx. And they talked about how how annoying it was, basically, to profile and trail him. Because he didn't keep a set schedule, even eating or sleeping. And sometimes he would work, and sometimes he wouldn't. And he loved booze. So sometimes he'd go boozing and he'd be knocked out for the day, but sometimes he'd go boozing and go out for two or three days and they'd have, and they're like, this is just, he's so bohemian. We hate this asshole. And I'm like, yes, we have pissed off the goddamn system since our inception as people. And I continue to do so. Fantastic. You're telling me there's some department of Homeland Security agent is like, I can't fucking handle this dude. I can't fucking handle this dude. Sometimes he's searching the internet for 11 hours straight, and sometimes I don't see him for three days. What the fuck is he doing? Puts tape over all of his cameras. He unplugs all of his mics. As far as I can tell, he's either the most dangerous or harmless man in the goddamn universe. (laughs) It feels good, though. It feels very natural. You're supposed to get on a sleep schedule. If you're having trouble with depression, did not do it. You're supposed to change all these things and get more hugs. Nope. You're supposed to get all this exercise and get out there. Nah. I mean, I'm gonna get the exercise, but no, until, not until not until the super cheap shipping <laughs> option that I chose that bought me that bit me in the ass fucking gets the actual thing here. Ugh. So all I can say is keep going. All I can say is keep investing in you, keep in, keep on keeping on with yourself, who you are, how you feel. The world is legitimately insane right now. I am quite frankly tired not talking about how nuts it all is, and the only reason that I don't is because it fatigues you all more. Really, solely The only reason I'm not going on about rants is because I want to give you a good time. And I kind of feel like you're all the same way. But you have your own things that you want to rant about, and you know that everybody else has a limited energy budget for that, so you don't. And I need to be more like that. I need to respect that, even if my name's on the door. So that's exactly who I'm trying to be and who I'm trying to model. I don't just sound good, and I'm not just putting on a show. The world is insane, and I am better than I was when it was slightly less crazy. If it feels like too much for you now, if it feels too hard for you or too crazy, just keep going along with it. If everything is spinning, then spin along with her, just until you find some point, like the ballerina, like the dancer on stage, to focus on, so that you keep spinning, but don't feel nearly as dizzy. You will, I promise. I don't know when, I don't know how, and I don't know what. I don't know what advice is going to be good for you. But beautiful, my darling, keep going. Won't you? Even with all the insanity? 
Okay. That's it. That's what I had to talk about. Oh, I'm just telling you, before before you throw me out with the bathwater, the baby that I am, before I start reading these poems, I'm telling you, get ready for that excess fucking mortality fucking number to start fucking me. I'm telling you, way up, way up. Okay. Oh, that's how Jim Henson does it. Whenever he wants to curse out the audience, he just invents a new character that they can't understand, and then they just fucking let loose. That is a salty motherfucker. A lot of people think that Beaker is meeping. That's actual just the censor. He's calling everybody a screw-faced rat fuck. He is absolutely positively just going to town. Jim Henson couldn't take it anymore. who's ready for some poetry some wonderful requests here we go it has been so wet stones glaze in moss everything blooms coldly I expect you I thought one night it was you at the base of the drive you at the foot of the stairs you in the shiver of light but each time Leaves in the wind revealed themselves, the retreating shadow of a fox, daybreak. We expect you, cat and I, bluebirds and I, the stove. In May we dreamed of wreaths burning on bonfires over which young men and women leapt, June efforts quietly. I planted vegetables along each garden wall, so even if spring continues to disappoint, we can say at least the lettuce loved the rain. I have new gloves and a new hoe. I practice eulogies. He has a hawk with white feathered legs. She has quiet ribs of a salamander crossing the old pony post road. Yours is the name the leaves chatter at the edge of the unrabbited woods. Dear Absent One, This Long While by Lisa Olsten, O-L-S-T-E-I-N. Learning to love differently is hard. Love with the hand wide open. Love with the doors banging on their hinges. The cupboard unlocked. The wind roaring. The whimpering in the room rustling. And the sheets of snapping the blinds that thwack like rubber bands. On an open palm. It hurts to love wide open, stretching the muscles that feel as if they are made of wet plaster, then of blunt knives, then of sharp knives. It hurts to thwart the reflexes of grub, of clutch, to love and let go again and again. It pesters to remember the lover who is not in the bed, to hold back what is owed to the work that gutters like a candle in a cave without air. To love consciously, conscientiously, concretely, constructively. I can't do it. You say it's killing me. But you thrive. You glow like on the street like a neon raspberry. You float 
and sail, a helium balloon, bright bachelor's button blue and bobbing on the cold and hot winds of our breath as we make and unmake and passionate, distillate and systole the rhythm of our unbound bonding, to have and not to hold, to love with minimized malice, hunger and anger, moment by moment, balanced. To have without holding. Marge Piercy. I know I'm... <clears throat> One more time. Oops. <clears throat> I know in the breakfast table mess. My goodness. One more time. I know my leaving in the breakfast table mess. Bowl spills into bowl, milk and bran, bread crust crumbled. You push me back into bed. More honey and baby. Breath you tell my ear circles inside me, curls a damp wind and runs the circuit of my limbs. I integrate the air, smell Murphy's oil soap. Dog kibble. No rose. No patchouli swelter. And your mouth sesame. Olive. The nudge of your tongue behind my top teeth. The entire finish is water entering water. Which is the cup I take away? More turning me. Less your arms reaching around my back. You ask my ear where I have been. And my body answers. All over, kingdom come. A body by Amber Flora Thomas. For the first time, I listened to a lost and secret recording of us making love near on ten years ago. I recognize your voice, your sounds, though if I knew no better, I could be any man in the room. After the rising sounds of rising and the dressing, and once you step to close to the deck, perhaps to pick up shoes, you sing the chorus of Sunday morning. I'll call on you to hurry, and we leave. It does not end then. The tape rolls on. A few late cars which sigh by might have passed while walking. Triumphant, unaware we've left behind the mop and mow mechanism of silence to which we never return. <laughs> then, by Roddy Lumsden. Ah, it's kind of a weird one, Roddy. I, I do a lot of recording. That's a weird one. My poem for that one would be like, Oh, shit. Oh, fuck. I left that recording. Oh, this is weird. Okay, well, I guess nobody noticed. Delete. That would be my version of that poem. <laughs> Uh, I guess I'm not very romantic. I'm a different kind of writer. <laughs> hmm. A day I wish to spend it all with you. Not to impress you, but just to watch the whole of you. The way you live. The way you smile. The way you carry yourself. The way you walk every mile. To live the way that you have been living, to learn whatever you have been preaching, 
you would never be able to see the brilliance of your own eyes. You would never be able to hear the tinkling of your own smile. I want to see it all, the whole of you, and love you for what you are and adore you, to appreciate how beautifully God created your heart and to love you for what you are. I adore you, Ritu Shah. Winter's light of heaven's might bears its promise true of endless lands and chilly sands and skies of lighter blue. Oh, big old tree that dreaming me bared its branches too. From summer's end and autumn's trend, remembrances of you. Free birth here, no plan to fear, bare trees have their due. Of leaves in spring, sweet offering, and I have love for you. Promise by Lou Stovall S-T-O-V-A-L-L My voice will weigh on you like a rope hanging from your neck. My voice will be the vulture that patrols your rotting body and remains tattooed among the sound in your mind so that you can't sleep because you clawed the light from our grandparents' eyes. My Voice Will Weigh on You by Irma Panita P-I-N-E-D-A That's it for poetry. We've got some love letters coming up. We've got some smut. I'm trying to pad it out, but my God, I don't know what else to say besides what I have. I pretty much got it all out. You're like, Jack, come on, I don't want to hear about, like, truckers, COVID and shit. I agree. Come out next Friday. Send me more requests. I'm trying to pad. I'm trying to do a show here, baby. This is what I've got. Uh, I'm trying to think of something that I saw this week that was, like, a fun news story. There weren't, there weren't really a lot of fun ones. I did see that... In the latest development of a very, very strange and, and interesting career. Did you guys hear about Snoop Dogg this week? <laughs> Snoop Dogg is now the owner of Death Row Records. What a strange, strange, strange turn of events that is. <laughs> After all the... The Rick Ross shit and all the... What was the name of that one promoter? He was like Don King, but for the record industry. <laughs> I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Oh, my God. And now he owns the rights. All these other musicians are selling off their catalog or some percentage of their catalog for incredible amounts of money, if you hadn't heard. Neil Young sold off... Was it Shook Knight? Elena may be right. It might be Suge Knight. I might be... Suge Knight is pretty Don Kingy. It is Suge Knight. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean... 
Did you guys know that Suge Knight once actually just held somebody by their ankles off a goddamn balcony because they wouldn't sign a record contract, and that's in police depositions? <laughs> like, that's the stuff that's the stuff that made it officially into like the DA. <laughs> so just imagine the shit he was doing that didn't get ratted out. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's some Batman shit. Uh, except Batman actually dropped Eric Stoltz. Eric Roberts? Eric Stoltz. Eric Roberts. Eric Roberts, right? Julie Roberts' brother? It's Eric Roberts and Batman Begins? No one's seen that movie. Everyone's just looking forward for Robert Patterson. Ugh, what a stupid fucking naming scheme that is. I'm just gonna say it as a huge Batman fan. I'm fine with R. Pat's putting on the suit, frankly. The fact that Batflick went on so long is baffling, baffling to me. Bat, 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 baffling to me. Because not only were the movies not good, but he was a bad choice. So it's like, it's like they just kept going with Clooney or something. It's like, George Clooney is a great actor, but what if they just kept going with him for years? It's like, why? What are you doing? So I'm fine with our pats. I'm a little mad that there's a British guy playing Batman because they'll never let an American play James Bond. What the fuck's up with that? That's not fair. That's not okay. Australians playing Superman, Brits playing Batman, and we can't play James Bond, even though most of the Brits who have played James Bond have sucked at it and been horrible. And all the ones that that did play it pretty good weren't actually Brits or that British. It's kind of weird. Just kind of saying. Who was Australian? Who was the Australian James Bond? Who? It's not Craig. It's not Connery. It's not, uh, Moore. It's not Dalton. It's not Lazenby. Oh, I forgot about Lazenby. He's Australian? They cast one Australian James Bond, and he cries over the death of a woman. And they will never make that mistake again. They cast one Australian, James Bond. He cries over the death of a woman. And never, ever have they returned to that land. Is he still mad about it? He should be. It's such fucking bullshit that they made James Bond cry. I would also be fucking pissed. Imagine I do all of this work. And, like, all my life, and I get to play, like, a character I've always wanted to play, like, the Beast from X-Men or something. I'd make an excellent Beast. Like, the Beast from X-Men or something. I, you know, like, I'm not the Beast. My name is Dr. Hank McCoy. Do you understand how much I understand about this character? I am not the Beast. And then I got to play the Beast, and they put me in there. And then the entire movie is just, like, hitting shit and yelling. And there's nothing at all beastie about the Beast movie. He's just like some animal. Oh, I'd be so mad. Or like the guy Dan Stevens. Dan Ste- actually, This actually happened to Dan Stevens in real life. They set him up for fucking failure. He's like, all right, I don't want to do any more Downton Abbey. He's like, Disney's like, come on, we'll let you play the Beast. He's like, okay, that sounds pretty good. I sound pretty miscast for that role, but why not? Go ahead. Go ahead. Let's cast me as the Beast. What's the beast known for? Being huge, aggressive, angry, and broad-shouldered. Well, none of those are me, but I'm telling you, I'm going to be able to do this real fucking well, just, you know, write the part good, and then I'll just knock it out the park. And then they're like, 
Well, we're not going to write the part good. I'm sorry. Do you think we're having you opposite Emma Watson because we want you to be important? No, we're going to write the shittiest version of the beast that could ever exist. I'm sorry, said Dan Stevens. You mean shittier than the Stockholm Syndrome selfish asshole who just magically gets everything to work out because a woman decides to do a bunch of housework for him? Oh, yeah. We're going to do way worse than that. Okay, says Dan Stevens. And I would still be mad about it, too. Years later. Years later. <laughs> Lazenby is still... I forgot all about the Lazenby Bond. I'm not a Bond guy. But that one legit... I, I couldn't even remember that guy existed. I was like, it's not Warren. It's not Dalton. I don't even remember Dalton. He's only in two. Dalton's only in two, and he's the one of the only times I've ever felt any sexual attraction about a man. And it's not even about Richard Dalton. There's two times in my life where I felt like, okay, this is actual sexual attraction. This is like an actual, like, ooh, like an actual sexual impulse. One of them is during a Dalton Bond, and the other one was during House of Cards. So I don't have a great track record. Uh, I'll spill the House of Cards one first. Uh, in season two, a House of Cards... A threesome just all of a sudden develops between uh, Robin Wright Penn, Kevin Spacey, and another guy. It just kind of happens out of nowhere in season two. And the surprise of that was like, oh, this is so fucking hot. Oh, this is so fucking hot. Like, it just, it really caught me. And I was like, I absolutely want to double team uh, Robin Wright Penn. I absolutely want to do that. That sounds like a real good time. And I don't care if I have to kiss another guy to do it. Who cares? And then, like, two days later, I woke up. I'm like, no, I don't want to kiss Kevin Spacey. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> <laughs> and the other time, it's in the second Dalton Bond, I think, but there's one of them with a baby, with a just a baby minted. Like, he's a good-looking dude all the way through. Like, a really good-looking dude all the way through. But just a baby, fresh-minted Benicio Del Toro as the bad guy's henchman. And Dalton and this, like, 20-year-old Benicio Del Toro looking perfect, getting to, a, like, a knife fight melee goes on for 90 seconds, and they're all tossling, and Dalton is the best-looking Bond by far. Benicio Del Toro's all, like, he's got, like, his, like, you know, this is back when if you cast somebody with a Latin name, they were, like, ultra-Latin. So, like, he's, like, eating empanadas and shit and, like, greasing back his hair in between, like, his moves and shit. Like, he's that Latin. He's like, I'm sexy Latin assassin. Uh-uh. Oh, this is years before Antonio Banderas takes off and ruins it for the rest of us. Oh, oh, so sexy and Latin. You have vague ideas about what's happening in our country because of the Iran-Contra affair. You don't know if I'm a sexy Latin assassin. And I got so fucking turned off watching the two of them just go at it. And then that was it. It's the only two times I ever remembered like men tossling where I'm like, mm-hmm. But then it ended, and then I was done with it. Does it keep going if you're, if you're like, actually, like, bye? <laughs> so I always wanted to wonder. And then the other thing is, I've seen gay porn, like, good gay porn, and it does nothing. So there's no curiosity. There's nowhere for the impulse to go. <laughs> I... I, I I did my experimenting at summer camp. I've seen gay porn. There's nothing. So it really is about two attractive men like Tossling. I'm like, yeah, 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 this is it. <clears throat> the number of women 
that I think are just so attractive and so fucking interesting in the world that want nothing more than to watch like a man suck another man's dick if one of those men is their boyfriend slash husband. But only if. They don't give a fuck if it's just two men. But if it's one of their men and they're in any way involved, they think it's amazing, is really high. It's pretty high. It's shockingly high. At least the women that I like and I enjoy so much, they really like that. And I'm always like, honey, you're lucky if you can get me to do the dishes. Like, it's not going to happen. I am never, ever, 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 ever going to make that much effort for you. Ever. In anything. You'll never have to worry about me stealing your credit cards. You'll never have to worry about an impulse purchase. You'll never have to worry about, like, if I said I can drive, can I drive? But on the other hand, I am absolutely never, even if I wanted to. I need you to understand this, baby. I need you to hear me. Even if I liked putting dicks in my mouth, that would still be a lot of effort to screen the dick and then to bring the dick in and all the conversations about it and then to actually do it in front of you. And I don't like to do it. So just think of all of those headaches and hassles that I could avoid by not sucking someone else's dick. It's never going to happen. Just, just need to be real clear with you. And here's how I can cement it. I don't even want to fuck two women at the same time. Even if you do that weird Hollywood thing where, like, the other woman just comes out lingerie and they're like, it's a gift for you. And if the guy is suddenly, like, totally cool with it and has no questions. Even if you were to try and do that magical concept, it's like, nah. Nah. <laughs> Too much work. Not into it. So I just need to be real clear. Never going to suck another guy's dick to turn you on. Love you! Might, might mop the house. Don't use it this way, but I'm just telling you. If you're like, it would really turn me on if you were to fuck another guy, I might do more housework. Don't use it that way. Guy will resent you. But, telling you, I can see my way towards compromise. You need me to do more in the relationship? I hear you. Uh, let's try not to involve third parties. Yeah, I don't, that, yeah, that's, now you know about me and orgies, which is, I always want to be invited to every orgy so I can never show up. If I had my druthers, I want to be invited to every single sexual experience, say I'm so excited, say it's going to be so much fun, and I'm, like, I'm doing a low-carb diet and everything before it arrives because I'm so excited, and then just never show up. I want to always be thought of and never be there. <clears throat> I just thought about how, like, if you think about the history of orgies, there's definitely been a bisexual, like a heavy bisexual person invited to a straight orgy that didn't know that until they arrived. And then they were like, oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> this is, this is limp. I, I'm not saying no, but I just... You ever see an old Tarzan movie where he's just swinging from one vine to another and grabbing anything? <sighs> All right. After that little joke, let's do some love letters. 
days have passed since I parted from her, and already it is as though I have been eight years away from her. Although I can avow that not one hour has passed without her memory, which has become such a great close companion to my thoughts, that now, more than ever, it is the food and sustenance of my soul, still not a period, and if it should endure like that, a few days more, as seems it must, I truly believe it well, in every way have assumed the office of my soul, and I shall then live and thrive on the memory of her, as do other men upon their souls, and I shall have no life but in this single thought. <gasps> Whew, that is a sentence, asshole. Let the God, who is so full of decrees, do as he will, so long as in exchange I may have to as much a part of her as shall suffice to prove the gospel of our affinity is founded on true prophecy. <gasps> Often I find myself recalling, and with what ease, certain words spoken to me. Some on the balcony with the moon as witness, others at the window I shall always look upon so gladly, with all the many endearing and gracious acts I have seen my gentle lady perform, for all the dancing about my heart, with a tenderness so wondrous that they can inflame me, with a strong desire to beg her to test the quality of my love. For I shall never rest content until I am certain she knows what she is able to enact in me, and how great and strong is the fire that I have her great worth in the kindled in my breast. The flame of true love is a mighty force, and most of all, when two equally matched wills and two exalted minds contend to see which loves the most, each striving to gain yet more vital proof, it would be the great delight for me to see just two lines in her hand, yet I dare not ask so much. May your ladyship beseech her to perform whatever you feel is best for me. With my heart, I kiss your ladyship's hand, since I cannot with my lips. Whew! Now that's a warm-up. <laughs> now that's a breath control warm-up. Now that's what you do <laughs> if you really try and read without taking a breath between periods, which I, you know, I really do try and use that grammatical rule. That was a warm-up. Love letter from Pietro Bembo to ooh, Luc Lucrezia Borgia. If the person who sent that to me feels comfortable, tell Allie what year that one's from. I'm real curious because it's got real antiquated language but real modern punctuation, and you don't see that. Okay. <clears throat> I wake filled with thoughts of you. Your portrait and the intoxicating evening which we spent yesterday have left my senses in turmoil. Sweet, incomparable Josephine, what a strange effect you have on my heart. Are you angry? Do I see you looking sad? Are you worried? My soul aches with sorrow, and there can be no rest for your lover. But it is still more in store for me when, yielding to the profound feelings which overwhelm me, I draw from your lips from your heart, 
a love which consumes me with fire. Ah, it was last night that I fully realized how false an image of you your portrait gives. You are leaving at noon. I shall see you in three hours. Until then, mio dolce amore, a thousand kisses, but give me none in return, for they set my blood on fire. Napoleon Bonaparte to his wife, Josephine. Anyone, any of y'all ever read the, uh, the big book of letters between those two? Came out about 20 years ago, I want to say. Anybody ever read that big book of love letters? That dude was just constantly saying, Josephine, I need you. Let me look it up real quick since we've got extra time. Napoleon and Josephine love letter book. Let's see if this is from right here. Yeah, yeah, 2004. The Letters of Napoleon to Josephine. Wow, I thought that was a much more popular book than it was. Anyway, uh, I read it. It's about 20 years old. Yeah, it's pretty good. He's always, always, always just talking about, like, how much he can't wait to see her and what have you. And it reminds me of a story that I heard about three. This is a true news story that I heard about three sisters whose dad uh, died. Uh... Their mom had died uh, some years before, so they were very, very close. Three sisters growing up. Dad died, and they were going through his stuff, and they found old letters that he wrote to, to their mom. And they're like, oh, so they light a candle, and they get some booze. And, you know, they're going to honor the dad's memory, and they find, you know, hundreds and hundreds of handwritten letters that the mom kept. And literally all of them were written while the guy was away on business saying how he couldn't wait to get home and fuck her. <laughs> on and on about her body and what he missed and how he couldn't wait to get home, and that's what they all fuck. <laughs> that's the only time he wrote her a hand letter. <laughs> hey, at least you know he's thinking about you. <laughs> wouldn't it be fucked up in the relationship if you were like kind of excited you know you're going to miss your husband because he was leaving for a week but you were kind of excited because you are going to get a bunch of letters <laughs> can you imagine can you imagine if he had modern texting and sexting capability like how much different those business trips would have been for him oh man <clears throat> Do you know, when you have told me to think of you, I have been feeling ashamed for thinking of you so much, for thinking of only you, which is too much, perhaps. Shall I tell you? It seems to me myself that no man was ever before any woman what you are to me. The fullness must be in proportion, you know, to the vacancy. And only I know what was behind the long wilderness without the blossoming rose and the capacity for happiness, like the black gaping hole before the silver flooding. It is wonderful that I should stand as in a dream and disbelieve not you, but my own fate.
Was ever any one taken suddenly from a lampless dungeon and placed upon the pinnacle of a mountain, without the head turning round and the heart turning faint, as mine do? As you love me more, you say, shall I thank you or God? Both, indeed, and there is no possible return from either of you. I thank you, as the unworthy may, as, and as we all thank God. How shall I ever prove what my heart is to you? How will you ever see it as I feel it? I ask myself in vain. Have so much faith in me, my only beloved, as to use me simply for your own advantage and happiness, and to your own ends without a thought of any others. That is all I could ask of you, without any disquiet, as to the granting of it. May God bless you. Love Letter from Robert Browning to Elizabeth Barrett Take me to church. Okay. <clears throat> My letters will have shown you how lovely I am. <laughs> Boy, that caught me. That caught me totally unaware. Let me try again. Woo! Those last those last two words really those last two words really surprised me. <clears throat> okay. <clears throat> All right, I'm ready for it now. My letters will have shown you how lovely I am. I don't dine at court. I see few people. I take my walks alone, and at every beautiful spot I wish you were there. I can't help loving you more than is good for me. I shall feel all the happier when I see you again. I am always conscious of my nearness to you. Your presence never leaves me. In you, I have a measure for every woman, for everyone. In your love, a measure for all that is to be, not in the sense that the rest of the world seems to obscure tome. On the contrary, your love makes it clear. I see quite clearly what men are like and what they plan, wish, do, and enjoy. I don't grudge them what they have, and comparing is a secret joy to me, possessing, as I do not, such an imperishable treasure. You and your household must feel as I often do in my affairs. We often don't notice objects simply because we don't choose to look at them. But things acquire an interest, as soon as we see clearly the way, they are related to each other. For we always like to join in, and the good man takes pleasure in arraigning, putting in order, and furthering the right and its peaceful rule. But do, you whom I love, one thousand times. Love letter from Wolfgang Goethe to his wife. But I'm assuming she's not his wife at this point. Because otherwise, it's not a very good love letter because he's saying, like, listen, lady, I walk alone. I eat alone? I love you. Which is a weird love letter. 
Last love letter for the night. And then we're on to some fun smut. My beloved angel, I am nearly mad about you, as mad as one can be mad. I cannot bring together two ideas that you do not interpose yourself between them. I can no longer think of anything but you. In spite of myself, my imagination carries you there. I grasp you. I kiss you. I caress you. A thousand times of the most am amorous kisses take possession of me. As for my heart, there you will always be, very much so. I have a delicious sense of you there, but my God, what is to become of me if you have deprived me of my reason? This is a monomania which, this morning, terrifies me. I rise up every moment saying to myself, Come, I am going there, and then I sit down again, moved by the sense of my obligations. There is a frightful conflict. This is not life. I have never been before like that. You have devoured everything. I feel foolish and happy as soon as I think of you. I will round in a delicious dream in which in one instant I live a thousand years. What a horrible situation. Overcome with love, feeling love in every pore, living only for love, and seeing oneself consumed by griefs and caught in a thousand spider's threads. Oh, my darling Eva, you did not know it. I picked up your card. It is there before me, and I talk to you as if you were there. I see you as I did yesterday. Beautiful, astonishingly perfect. Yesterday, during the whole evening, I said to myself, She is mine. Ah, the angels are not as happy in paradise as I was yesterday. Eternal fan favorite, Balzac Tahanska. Mm, I think we've done that one like four times before. Okay, now, what I guess you all have been waiting for. We've got two short, silly smuts, and then a longer one. I want to get right into it, just a little sip of water. Mm. Hope you've been having a good show. Surprised at how well this stuff is working out. Because, I mean, come to the next show. Bring me, uh... <laughs> oh, my God. Sorry, the Literotica ads are insane. I need to I need to get rid of these immediately. What the fuck? I, I have been going to Literotica for 20 years now, maybe a little bit longer. The ads have always been the same. Now, all of a sudden, it's all a bunch of fucking anime girls and choose-your-own-adventure shit at the top. It's always been cam girls. 20 years! It's been cam girls, and my, minds have just, my eyes have just automatically glossed over them because I've never given a shit. Now, look at this. All right. Daddy is a wizard, and he gets rid of all the parts of fucking websites he doesn't like, so he can concentrate on the parts that he does. They're just called elements and your website's from 1997 Literotica. So it's easy to obscure them all. There we go. 
All right, what you just heard was real-time somebody pulling up the fucking console command and getting rid of a banner ad of a site he's been going to for 20 fucking years because they just threw some anime bullshit at him. <laughs> Jack, do you do that with all the sites? Yes. Yes. Do you know how you click on a thing that says, do you accept these cookies and pop-ups? I don't. I just make them go away. I just wave my wizard hand and they disappear because I have lived on the internet far too long. And I had an ex who didn't really understand technology. So when she watched me pull up the console command the first time we went to a, a website and I just got rid of all the like the cookies and the banner ads and all, I just went doot, 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 doot and put it down. I looked over at her and she gave me the exact same look that your dog gives you when your voice comes out of your phone. The exact same look that your dog gives you when they hear your voice and can see you and your voice is not coming out of your mouth. Like, what? What? <laughs> I don't... What? <laughs> I had to lie to her. And she goes, can you do that with every site? I went, no. I didn't even pause. I went, no! Because I didn't want to do it for all of her fucking sites that she would ever fucking go to. So. <laughs> she went to a lot of fucking tabloid sites. I didn't want to waste the time. <clears throat> all right. Scene one! Interior day. Uh-oh. Oh, no! As someone who likes screen screenwriting and has a hankering for it, this is how you technically would try and begin a screenwriting, except you would never say what scene it is, and he's got interior day written all wrong. So this is just somebody who <laughs> took a look at a screenplay once and was, went, I got it. Got it. <clears throat> Men's Army Barracks. Inspection review. Here we go. Several soldiers lined up in the barracks wearing only armor-issued boxers and t-shirts are brought to attention and being inspected by First Sergeant. Amy Army! A-R-M-E-Y! <laughs> Amy Army! And her male colleague. She prowls the line like a cagey lioness, barking orders and rebukes at the men for any perceived slights. Suddenly, she comes upon a young, handsome new recruit who is clearly ill at ease. She looks him over. She discovers why. He's spawning an enormous erection! At first, she is mildly amused at his embarrassment and chides him for it. Soldier! Is that an M16 in your pocket or are you just happy to see me? The private fumbles for words, but none come out. Amy, second in command, rushes over to chastise and berate the fearful recruit, but Amy signals him to back off. What the fuck is wrong with you, ass what? Amy shouts at him. You think because I'm a woman you can disrespect me like this? Uh, no sir, uh, ma'am, he responds. Then get that thing under control before I break it off, she orders. The soldier's emotions are clearly on his face. Confusion. Fear, embarrassment, and nervousness are all in play. Uh, I'm trying to, ma'am. Uh, sir. I gave you a direct order, fucker! What have you been doing? 
Jack yourself off while dreaming of mommy? <laughs> the corners of his eyes are noticeably moist, and his Adam's apple is bobbing frantically as he struggles for an elusive composure that does not exist. I, I can't help that it won't go down. Amy is enraged. And why not? The clearly shaken soldier hesitates and looks around helplessly. Perspiration beads up on his forehead. It's... It's because... Uh... I... You... Uh, we... Uh... Spit it out, you sick bastard! Tell us all your problem! Amy demands. The soldier takes a deep breath, fixes his eyes on Amy, and blurts, Because you are the prettiest, most sexy woman I've ever seen in my entire life, sir, uh, ma'am, and I've been this close to anyone like you before, and I guess my body lost control. I'm really sorry, ma'am. Sorry! Amy retorts. Sorry is for wimps! The U.S. Army doesn't say sorry, but sorry is the least of your words when I'm done with you, soldier. I'm going to drag you. I'm going to show you what I do to men like you who can't control themselves around me. Second sergeant, send this man to my office just dressed like he is. Oh, for inspection and extra discipline. She turns her gaze to the rest of the men who are looking quite scared. The rest of you asinine piss ants, carry on. Carry on, second sergeant, she said, walking out with a huff. There is a collective sigh of relief from everyone as the barracks doors slam loudly behind her. Scene 2, interior day, with two dashes in between this time. Amy's, Amy's office is written, is, is written as its own paragraph beneath that. Oh, it's amazing. Amy's office! Amy is sitting at her desk reading some documents when she hears a tentative knock at the door. Come in, she says without looking up. And opens and shuts. Private Potts! Oh, sorry. Uh, Private Potts. Reporting as ordered, but in the same paragraph, ma'am. Comes the familiar shaky voice. For a long while, Amy does not look up, but continues with her paperwork before finally asking, What did you say your name is? Private Potts, Sergeant Ma'am. Private Potts! She sneered. Uh, no, ma'am. Leonard L. Potts, ma'am. She finally looks up at him with a stern expression. Are you calling me a liar, Private Parts? No, ma'am. Never. His face reddens in anxiety. That's better! Emma relaxes. Where are you from, Private Parts? Ma'am. I, I, I was born in Alaska, ma'am. Not many women like me there, huh? She muses. <laughs> I'm so glad I went with this Arlie Ermy knockoff voice. <laughs> Lines like that are just even better. Ma'am, there's no woman like you here. He gulps. She sits back at her black leather chair that all army barracks definitely have and eyes his crotch blatantly. So, you think I'm beautiful? Ma'am, he sputters. You think I'm sexy, huh, Private? Potts watched her warily, not knowing how to respond. Why is that, Private? Is my long, smooth legs that turn on to you? She raised a leg and placed it on the desk. Potts tried not to stare at the space between her legs. That is clearly showing. Uh, ma'am. Or is it my big, firm tits? Amy pushes out her chest at him, stretching the material around her sizable bus. Potts blinks in confusion as he attempts to steady himself on the swoon. Or the way I swing my hot ass around when I walk. Tell me, Private. I want to know. 
Is that why your dick is so hard right now? He swallows hard and confesses. Yes, ma'am. All that and more. Really? Amy smiles as she pushes herself back from her desk. Man, private parts, say hello to my private parts. Amy drapes her bare legs across the armrests of her chair, giving Potts a full exposed view of her pantyless, hairless pussy under her uniform skirt. She brings a hand to her crotch and, using only two fingers, opens up her spreadable labia. <laughs> ah, opens her spreadable labia lips so that he can see the pink moistness of her hot flesh. Potts feels his knees begin to buckle as the blood begins to drain from his brain and into his penis, making it grow and throb with passionate lust for his superior. His lips pot as he musts a low moan. Amy smiles seductively. Now, let's get something straight, soldier. I give the orders here. Your job is to follow them to the letter. Without any question, without fail. Understood? Potts nods eagerly. I can't hear you, soldier, she yells. He responds with a strangled, uh, Yes, sir, ma'am. Good, she says. Now bring your cute self over here and lick your sergeant's tight little fuckhole the way I tell you to. Or you'll be doing the rest of your base time at KP till your hands fall off for peeled potatoes. Or put you in the brig for insubordination. You got that? Amy guides Potts through some of the nastiest sex acts he's ever conceived and many had never dreamed of until they're both physically depleted and worn out. Immediately afterward, they dress and Amy orders him to get cleaning supplies and scrub up the mess they made all over her office. As she makes her way out the door, she tells him, I'll be back in two hours. When I return, I want this place spotless, or you'll know what hell is, maggot. Now hop to it, hop to it. The end. All of that fucking setup. <laughs> I think someone has, I think somebody has, just a little bit of a dominatrix fetish? That's Amy's army from Michelle McFarland. Michelle McFarland. Not Michael McFarland. Michelle McFarland. I think Michelle might have some fantasies that she's getting involved with as she's writing to herself. I think, I think Michelle might be discovering something about her sexual nature. Okay. <clears throat> God, I wish I'd watched Full Metal Jacket sometime in the last 15 years. That would have been even more fun. How tall are you? Five foot ten. I didn't know they could stack shit that high. Where you from, boy? Montana. The only thing they got Montana's is steers and queers. You don't look like no cow to me. We've got another sexy short story here, and then we'll get into the long one. That'll do a little bit more seriously. We'll see if it deserves it. I mean, I'm going to tell you, the gloves were off as soon as Amy's army, her last name was army. That's it. I'm done. You are either the best writer or the worst fucking writer in the goddamn world if you do that. And guess what? She ain't no fucking Elmore Leonard, okay? To make a name that fucking cutesy, you have to be good. You have to be good. And generally speaking, even if you're good, you still have to do a little throwaway of, your name is Army and you're in the Army. I know. They call it nominative destiny.
some shit like that to show, yes, yes, I know how stupid it is, and I chose to do it anyway. That takes a lot of writer points. You don't get there overnight. It's balls. Because at first you're afraid that no one's ever even going to listen to your writing. And then you're like, should I take 30 seconds to jerk myself off to this funny name for this character I thought of? Yeah, why not? Why not? They'll stick around. Ah, I can spare half a page. <clears throat> Jane was dressed as my ideal slut. <sighs> Two strong starts, you gotta say. <laughs> Two strong starts with real bad punctuation at the beginning of both, because that's not a period where I stopped. It's an ellipses, but it's the shitty kind of ellipses that you know is really bad because there's a space on either side of it. I'm just going to write out what that looks like. There's this kind, which is fine. A lot of people don't like it, but an ellipses is powerful. But then there's this kind. And that kind is the fucking worst in the world. <laughs> so here we go. <clears throat> I paused, but then the horror hit me. I'm ready now. I'm stronger than I was. Jane was dressed as my ideal slut for private play. Very short skirt, skimpy top with a flimsy black bra underneath, fishnet stockings, tiny black lace thong, and very high heels. Her nails were painted. She wore brighter-than-usual red lipstick and a little makeup, just the way I liked her. I told her to parade around for a few minutes, wiggling her bottom, bending for me, adjusting her stockings, etc. She was obviously enjoying it flaunting herself for me. A true slut! Jane, you look like the perfect slut yet again. Bend over the bed for me. Jane duly obliged, bending over from the waist, her tiny skirt riding up to reveal shocking tops, thong, and a lovely bottom. I ran my hand down her legs, between the tops of her stockings and her thong. Her soft skin felt good and I let my fingers stray into the gaps between her legs, already knowing that her thong was moist. I took camera for a few more pics. I was never tired of seeing her like this. I went around the front. Her lovely firm tits were almost exposed by that flimsy lace bra. I took several pics with her smiling in the camera with her Come fuck me now look on her face and her tits almost falling out of her bra. I went around behind her and took several more pics of her legs and bottom. Her lovely legs shone off to perfection as far as I was concerned. Then told me her open legs and more. And took some more. Then I... <laughs> it's just how he fucking wrote it, too. It's amazing. Then I pulled her thong down a little and took some more. I swear to Christ. I swear to Christ, I'm going to read this paragraph again. It's going to sound like I'm adding pauses. It's going to sound like I'm adding pauses or I'm repeating phrases. This is a beautiful paragraph. Thank you to whoever suggested this one. Here we go. <clears throat> I went around behind her and took several more pics of her legs and bottom. Her lovely legs shone off to perfection as I was uh, concerned. Then told her to open her legs more and took some more. 
Then I pulled her thong down and took some more. Some very close up. I knew that every juice folded in her cunt flesh would be visible in glorious detail. Then I told her to kneel on the bed. Her arse raised high. I took several more pics from various angles. Then I pulled her thong off completely and took some more. Jane, my dirty whore, you are such a wonderful slut for me! I'm going to restrain you and spank you now as a reward! Take your bra off now! You won't be needing it anymore! Jane obeyed, releasing her lovely little tits. With such lovely little long nipples that I enjoy so much. I would enjoy playing with them again later. I moved a small bedroom armchair into a good position and said, Kneel in the chain, Jane! The usual position. Kneel! So that your head is over the back of the chair and your buttocks exposed for my pleasure and attention. Jane duly knelt over the chair with her head and arms over her back. I took one long, thick strap and used it to bind her wrist together, the back legs of the chair. Then I took the other long strap and slipped a loop in the end around her ankles. Then around the top one on the front legs. Then tied her to the chair. Then across to the other front leg. And finally, the other loop around the other ankle. I then pulled the adjustment strap to the middle. I made it tight. Very tight. Jane wouldn't be moving from there until I was finished with her buttocks. I then took a few pictures on each side of the chair. Jane bound tight and smiling. Still wearing the tidy skirt up around her waist. Stockings and heels. All three holes exposed. Ready for my pleasure. I moved around to her head and wiped my cock across her cheeks, leaving a thin strand of pre -cum over just one, just marking my territory. Then I held my cock close to her mouth and let her give a few sucks just to keep her going. She knew there'd be more later. Then I moved around behind her and examined her cunt and anus, using my hands to pull them, open them. Her cunt juices were really flowing now. She looked really wet. Then I stood and placed my hand on the lower part of her back. Raised my right arm. I paused. For a second or two. Teasing her with the weight. Then brought my hand down sharply onto her buttocks. Jane tensed. But didn't cry out. She was enjoying this. Tightly restrained. All holes available. Tiny skirt around her waist. And one buttock starting to glow. I raise my arm twice more for the same buttocks. Aiming for the same spot. I wanted my handprint to show. Then I repeated on her right.
three sharp blows with my open hand. And another glowing buttock! Then I picked up the camera and took several pics. Handprints showing. Right on her ass. Jane hadn't said a word. But she did sigh. <laughs> and give out a small moan. I knew she was enjoying this. I wondered if I could make a climax just with spanking. Maybe I'd try that. One day, after I'd used her other holes, I took a look at Jane's cunt, pulling her buttocks further away with my fingers. It was even wetter now. Her juices would be running down her leg soon. What a dirty little slut! I thought which hole I would use first. Not an easy decision. I decided I would use her mouth next. I released one of her wrists so that she would have to hand and hold my cock. Then I said, I want you to use your mouth now, Jane. As usual, there is no need to hurry. I want you to slowly lick me. Slowly. Lick the shaft. Then, lick around the head. Then, take me deep in your mouth and suck me in for just a few strokes. Then repeat it all over again. Until I come. Jane did as she was told. The dirty slut had plenty of practice sucking cock. And she did it very well. After a few minutes, I could feel my balls start to tighten. Then, that familiar feeling as cum starts to shoot down, down the shaft. I pull back just in time to splash it over her face. The first huge splurt, mostly on her nose. Then her mouth. Then five or six smaller splurts. Mostly onto her cheeks and chin. A good facial for my whore! She gives so much. I know I want her. Many, many more times. I held her head whilst I relaxed. Jane knew what I wanted. She took my cock between her mouth and licked the last drops of cum from the tip. Sucking and licking slowly until my cock was clean again. Then I undid the straps around her wrists and ankles. I knew she'd be feeling uncomfortable if I left her there for too long, but I hadn't finished with her yet. I told her, sit in the chair. Arms behind your back. I went around and behind the chair and fixed her wrist restraints, each around one of her wrists. The short chain between them allowing just a little movement. Then I took her hook, her legs over the arm and chair. <sighs> and again, I tied each ankle to each chair leg on the side. The position kept her legs spread wide. Cunt forward. Center stage. Anus exposed if needed. I took several more pics, including a close-up of the lovely wet slut cunt. Pussy whip swollen. Lots of cunt juice. 
Then I got the vibe ready, switching to one of the slow speeds. Jane's eyes lit up when she saw me getting the vibrator ready. I used it on her clit, teased her by moving it slowly around. Jane was soon moaning and squirming in the chair. Then I pushed the vibe's head just into her cunt, and she could see her trying to push forward. A true slut. Desperate for something hard and throbbing between her legs, I kept pulling the vibe out, teasing her, touching her clit again. Then, her slutty cunt. Jane was soon begging to come. She promised to give me the best suck I ever had if I'd push the vibe right in and make her come. I paused, as if thinking about it. Teasing her, really. Then slowly push the vibe all the way in. I left her there for a few seconds and Jane got more excited and more excited. Then I changed the rhythm and speed to excite her even more and she very quickly went stiff and let out a huge scream of delight. I left the vibe running at a lower speed and kept withdrawing it and pushing it into Jane's sobbing hole. I wanted to make sure she had several orgasms before I released her. And I wanted to make sure she would give me the best ever suck, too. And that was only the start of our session. We would both be taking so much more pleasure from each other's bodies before the day and night was over. Well, normally I wouldn't read an author's note at the end of this. But this is especially a fantastic one. <clears throat> Feedback, comments, welcome. Dash. Particularly from Jane! Exclamation point. Particularly from Jane! Oh, Jane! Okay, that comes from Extra One, all one word on Lit Erotica. If you guys have enjoyed the show and you've got the extra dough and the inflation doesn't make you feel like you're moving too slow, feel free to go ahead and give me a tip. It does keep the live show on uh, running. It means so much. Thank you very, 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 very much for it. This is our last piece that we'll be reading tonight, but don't be shy. Come on out next Friday, 10 Eastern. Say hello, bring a friend. It's a great time, as you can tell. Okay, here we go. <clears throat> the last one, and one I'll be taking just a little bit more seriously. I think. We'll see. This is a brand new smutty story, as far as I can tell. So, here we go. It's called... The mouth, and the article is something else. Uh, sorry, the author is something else. This is called The Mouth by, all one word, Hubris Whore. <laughs> we called him The Mouth. He was unattractive, tall, lanky, and weak with pale noodly arms and knobby knees and ice-pick elbows. His face was splotchy with acne scars and patchy in places, the razor's mist. His eyes were flat, periwinkle blue, made more dull and lifeless by the thick lens glasses he wore. I remember when he'd try contacts for a week, 
They actually made him look worse, lending him a heartless look reserved for lonely, jaded men sending bombs through the mail. Hey! His nostrils flared and his ears stuck out, a fact his short hedgehog haircut refused to hide. Oh, but his mouth. It was an out-of-place feature gracing his face, so unusual and startlingly sensuous, it was disturbing. Like playing a game of one of these things is not like the other, yet we never might have noticed if we never learned what it could do. His talents were discovered during a round of seven minutes in heaven during our junior year of college at a frat party. Seven minutes of heaven's what you play in, like, middle school, isn't it? We were drunk and giggly from Bottles and James and had our hearts set on making out with the guys we liked. These are 21-year-old women. (laughs) Guys we liked. The ones who excelled in Flip Cup had Dr. Fathers and socialite moms, and told rude jokes with every breath. We have no idea why the mouth was there. Maybe he just wanted to see how the cooler half lived. The boys we loved humored him. They found his being there amusing, if not easy to ignore. They pawed, I think they, they want to say pawed, but they pawed around with him, high on the novelty of his presence, and piled him with cans of natty eyes. It was hard to tell if the mouth was drunk at first. He pounded every beer they passed him and kept pace with our boys, but he didn't shout like they did, didn't shove anyone, didn't initiate stupid stunts. He wasn't like Billy Petruccielli, who, at the last party, got most of the other guys to make a nasty concoction in an empty plastic pretzel tub and left the roommate's bed. Left it in the roommate's bed. But the mouth did sway a bit when Caitlin who was dying to kiss Billy of the shit jar because he had beautiful eyes and drove a BMW, suggested seven minutes in heaven for old time's sake. <laughs> Jesus Christ. The boys tugged the mouth to... F- <laughs> the boys tugged the mouth to his feet and teased him, saying how it was his big night. They were going to get him laid at last and he could kiss his virginity goodbye. The girls shot each other looks that said, I'm not doing it. So who is? The guys plopped him on the floor in our circle, and Caitlin spun an empty wine cooler bottle. It landed near Billy, but must not have wanted to kiss her, because as much as she wanted to kiss him, or else he wanted her to kiss the mouth more. Billy argued the bottle was totally not pointing at him, and drew a dubiously straight baseline from the bottle to the mouth, who sat next to him, expressionless and ugly as ever. Kaylin didn't mask her total revulsion at the concept as the boys continued to shout at each other, taking a turn to describe the spin, inching it forward towards the mouth with every liberal reenactment. We girls tried to insist otherwise, but there was no talking sense to this wolf pack. Finally, Caitlin stood, her fingers fists, just come on already, she muttered, huffing and puffing her way to the nearby half-bathroom, our heaven. That was the thing about Caitlin. She could be cruel, but her word and her spin were always good? Our whooping giddy boys clapped, the mouth on the back, propelled him into a standing position, and aimed him towards the bathroom. Caitlin, 
her face a storm cloud, scowled and tugged at him after her. The door slammed. We hooted and we spectated what sort of deal she was striking up with the mouth in there. Maybe she was going to buy her way out with fifty bucks. After all, she wasn't going to go through with it. He was the mouth. Although that wasn't his name, not yet. I actually don't even remember what we used to call him. Maybe nothing. We kept our eyes on the time and laughed about how we're going to tell when seven minutes were up. Not that she was in there with him. We had no plans to save her. It would be funnier that way. But soon, we forgot to clock watch, distracted by again by one of the boys' pranks. This time, Chris Watts rallied everyone to scale the fence around a nearby apartment complex's pool for a moonlit skinny dip. The majority of the party took after him, taking the shortcut through the woods and shedding clothes as they stumbled along. I What a prank. What a prank to go skinny dipping. Who are you pranking? Puritans? God? Who are you pranking? I lingered behind with the, such a few girls on the front porch, smoking and laughing and predicting the outcome of the swim they were going to get. So busted. Then Caitlin came out of the house. We fell silent, watching her as the realization that she still existed fought through the drunken haze. Then we relaxed and asked where she had been and teased her, wondering how it was. She stepped closer, in the sick yellow light hanging over the, It's like a horror movie. In the sick yellow light hanging over the door, I saw the look of pure distress on her ashen face as she demanded a cigarette. We stopped laughing and got riled up and indignant. What the hell happened? What did he do? Where was the scumbag now? He left. Caitlin lit the cigarette. One of us bummed her with a borrowed lighter and tucked a strand of her long blonde hair behind her ears, sighing. She released the air from her lungs. He went home, I guess. More questions resulted. Well, what the fuck went on in there? Did he actually try to do something? Or did he get crazy? Did he hurt her? We blamed ourselves. We should have stuck around. We never should have made him go in there with her. We should have sent him on a looser way the happier he stepped foot in the door and tried to infiltrate our world. No, no. Caitlin waved her hand, the cigarette sandwiched between her middle and index finger as she rubbed her creased, worried forehead with the back of her other palm. I'm okay. It's fine. Really. We stared at her with expressions of doubt. Actually, Caitlin squeezed her eyes shut. It wasn't fine. She gave a pathetic whimper. It was fucking incredible. Then she sat on the porch steps like she wasn't capable of standing any longer, and tears slipped down her cheeks. We continued to watch her, waiting for the punchline. Instead, what lapsed was her detailed account of what happened, punctuated with her sniffles and watery gasps. I kept on insisting the light should be off. He's so ugly, you guys. I had no idea how else I was going to get through it, Caitlin said. And he shrugged and hit the light switch right before I kissed him. Naturally, I expected him to be all gross about it. Too much tongue, too much slobber, too much teeth. All grabbing my boobs and stuff, but he wasn't like that at all. This is what he did. She stood and turned to Lindsay, the friend nearest her, and slowly looped one arm around her neck while pulling her closer by her jeans waistband. Then she angled her head, and for a moment, we thought Caitlin might actually kiss her. 
Lindsay's eyes even fluttered shut in reflex in anticipation. But we said nothing, too stunned and too intrigued to intervene. Caitlin drew away just before the kiss could commence, and Lindsay blinked and stumbled backwards, flushed with nerves. Caitlin didn't seem to notice as she continued. And then he kissed me, softly at first, gentle. He, like, kissed each lip by itself, and then he did this thing where he bit my bottom lip and tugged it, and then he would stop and kiss it better. She took a deep breath. It was honestly the best kiss I've ever had, which is probably why I did, which is probably why I let him do what he did next. As we listened in riveted silence, she said, he started to unbutton my jeans, and I tried to tell him to knock it off, but his tongue was in my mouth, and, well, it was making me sort of not want to stop. And then my jeans were on the floor, and somehow I was sitting on the bathroom counter. And before I knew it, his head was... She swallowed hard. Just... Oh my god, you guys. I don't know what else to do, but just let him, you know? It's like suddenly, I didn't know how to do anything else. She smushed out her barely smoked cigarette. Then I came and was like, I'd never stop. It was like the first time someone other than myself ever got me off. Her voice darkened. None of those other idiots ever came close. They never even fucking bothered to come close. She met our boys, Christian and Billy, and the like. We darted each other uneasy glances. None of us had ever talked this way about sex, or the guys for that matter. Sure, we would get together and dish, gripping about our gorgeous, clueless boys. Oh, them. They're so charming when they try. We love the effort they put in, no matter how wasted they are when it happens. This is written by a woman or someone claiming to be. Sex had never been horrible. Okay, sometimes it was. But that was part of life. That's how it was. Right up until then. Until the mouth. The boys returned, murdering our intense conversation, leaving me feeling like I had been startled from a deep sleep. Billy led the pack, his wet black hair plastered to his forehead and droplets of water trickling down his bare chest and toned stomach. He was so hot, fresh from an Amber Crombie ad. Caitlin, all right, maybe it's not a new fucking story then. <laughs> been a while since I've seen an Amber Crombie and Finch reference. Okay, Caitlin didn't seem to notice him at all. Instead... She looked at us with her eyes that seemed to beg, please forgive me for enjoying myself so much. But one of us girls couldn't even have been me. I can't remember. Let out a cruel, nervous snort that set out a domino effect and affirmed that we couldn't do that. It was uncomfortable to even look at her, knowing what we did. She didn't belong to us anymore. Caitlin bit her lip and lowered her gaze to the ground and seemed to keep it there. Until graduation day. Holy shit. In the weeks that followed, we continued to titter with derision, but also envy. Caitlin's orgasm was something of a joke to us, one we hated. She experienced something we had never had and left us behind, brimming with her secret womanly knowledge while we were stuck in the same fumbling jackasses we always were. We didn't want to. 
but Caitlin's story changed how we felt towards our boys. She was right. As far as skill and stamina went, they were pathetic. They didn't even try to be good because they believed we had no other options, that we didn't even want other options. Lions fuck lions, after all. The guys all thought that, and until Caitlin disappeared into the bathroom with the mouth, we all thought that, too. We still laughed at the boys' jokes and flirted with them, but privately, we despised them. Okay, this was written by a man who's been turned down or some shit. Like, no way. <laughs> and Caitlin especially for showing us what we'd been missing. Now we couldn't be satisfied or rather pretend to be. It wasn't fair. Then Kendra stepped up. She was the courageous, curious one and deeply inspired by the intrigued by Caitlin's reported experience. No one could hold her back when she had an idea. And this time her idea involved the mouth. What happened apparently was this. Kendra sauntered up to the mouth in a student union where he sat down at one of the long orange tables with other gamers and geeks. She slammed her math book down on the table. Do you know anything about this stuff? She asked him, cracking her gum. He nodded. Good. Meet me in my dorm at seven and tell me all about it. She then flounced away in her short skirt, leaving him no choice. She didn't give anyone a choice. And when, she when he showed up at her room that night, it had been more the same. She booted her roommate, sat on the edge of their mattress, and gave her textbook the most cursory flip-throughs before tossing it aside. She then laid back, spread her legs, and announced, I've had enough trig for one night. How about you? He just dove right in there. Kendra later reported with a giggle, he had a tongue like a dog, <laughs> laughing away like he couldn't get enough of me. Woo! It was then we realized the problem with Caitlin was that her delivery sucked. Her experience had been intriguing, but also frightening, alienating, and too tragic. Kendra, on the other hand, was all about spin. She didn't ask anyone for forgiveness or acceptance, and that made it clear that she was the one in control. Having the mouth go down on her was a gift to both her and him. She would get the orgasms while he would get the privilege a loser like him could only dream of. Kendra never acted chagrined about what happened. That was key. If people were appalled by what she did with the mouth, she would fix her cool gray's eyes on them and poof, they would disappear. No one wanted that! So we were at the mercy of Kendra, who called all the shots. However, she couldn't bear to do anything alone. She insisted we all had to be in on this. We all had to try it. What were we skinny bitches waiting for? Her decisions were fortified by others following suit, and so all the girls did, one by one. Kendra orchestrated everything, but how? I don't know. And the girls would come back raving. Sounding so much like Kendra, I began to get everyone's encounters with the mouth confused. Was it Lindsay who got licked in the laundry room? Did Nikki say she peeled off her bathing suit bottoms and let the mouth eat her out for hours? Was Becca the one who sat astride on his face? Warming her ears with his thighs, everyone blended into one knowing, wordly, arrogant woman. Except for me. I was the last one. To be honest, I was afraid. I'd had sex before, for sure, even with Billy, but that had never been a big deal. But this was with the mouth. That sounded 
like quite the opposite. I kept thinking of Caitlin still meeting us for dinner, but she never really said much of anything about how she went from all the parties but attended as a ghost. I didn't want that to happen to me. I didn't want to be on the fringe, trapped in my own head with my own thoughts too big for anyone to identify with. This is definitely written by a man. I didn't want to feel that much. But Kendra gave me no choice. One Wednesday, she approached me on the quad, her coppery hair tumbling around her shoulders and her lips twisted into a smirk. You still living with your parents? Yes. And they don't get home until six, right? Right. Good. She looked very pleased with herself. The math will be at your place at 5.45 then. Until 5.45 then. She wagged her fingers at me. Don't give me that look. It's high time you did something about that pesky ogenity. You'll thank me later. I later came home to a quiet house after a day spent feeling nauseous. My legs shook and my heart hammered as I stared, uncomprehending, at whatever was flashing on MTV and waited for the doorknob to bong, alerting me to the mouse arrival. But actually, he knocked. A sound that temporarily surprised the terror out of me as I ran to the front entrance to let him inside. I opened the door, and when we stood in silence a moment regarding each other, and I was reminded how hideous he was. He looked nothing like Billy. And yet, I was supposed to let him touch me? I almost slammed the door in his face, but I was stuck with my rage at having to be in this situation. Finally, he cocked an untamed eyebrow. Are we doing this or what? I nodded and, with numb arms, gestured for him to enter. He did so like he'd been at my place a hundred times, moving with a bored confidence that dispelled some of my stress and annoyed me. Who did he think he was, strolling through my house like we were equals? He headed to our den, a tiny room with wood paneling and a large brown leather that dominated the small space. He threw my backpack under the rug and turned to me. Well? My fears returned at his expectant tone, and I tried to shake them off by remembering I was better than him. There wasn't anything to be afraid of. Kendra and the other girls were right. This was a privilege for him to give a gift to me. With renewed confidence, I dropped into a sitting position on the couch like I was the Queen of Sheba and feigned ennui. Well, I echoed sarcastically. Without a word, he nudged the coffee table out of the way with his shin, grabbed my legs behind my knees, and yanked me, and yanked me to the edge of the couch. I whispered in surprise and bit my lip, feeling vulnerable in this unladylike position. Half hanging off the seat with my neck bent and my head's resting against the cushion, his stoic expression didn't change as he lowered himself to his knees and ran his hands up my skirt and down the outside of my thigh. He was all business. And I finally recognized I was in the presence of an expert. My breathing hitched as he pushed my skirt up all the way, revealing the flirty pink panthers I chose to wear that morning, and he dragged me towards him again, bringing my quickly dampened cunt to his face. Then he parted my thighs and leaned forward, giving my clit a lick through the satintary fabric. I swallowed hard and grit my teeth in an effort not to make a sound, but a needy noise still came from the back of my throat. Okay, all right. This wasn't so bad. This is even pretty good. 
In an effort to forget it was the mouth between my legs, I closed my eyes and pictured Billy going down on me. But it was difficult to hold on to the thought. Billy had never done anything remotely as good as this. No one had. The mouth licked my clit until the crotch of my panties were so wet, I didn't know whether it was because of my tongue or my cunt. Then he pulled me away and peeled my panties off my legs in a move so smooth, skilled, and practiced, my tongue clung to the roof of my mouth, dry as dust. He spread my legs wider and for a moment did nothing but stare. I'd, been more I'd never been more exposed in my life, and I became wetter beneath his removed, studious gaze. My cunt twitched and clenched. I wanted him to plunge his tongue inside me already. I wanted his lips nuzzling my clit. God, I couldn't believe this was happening to me. How had I gone from being unable to look at his direction to needing him to fuck me with his mouth? Finally, 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 he bowed his head again, but he teased, but the teasing had come to an end. He licked me, like his life depended on it, like he needed to taste every last drop. His hips bucked towards me, his face as he flicked my tingling clit with his tongue, and I forgot to be embarrassed of the mules falling from my lips. I forgot everything, really. Kendra, Caitlin, Billy, everyone was gone. I watched the mouth eat my pussy as I sucked in a deep, trembling breath. The hideous boy had his head between my legs and was licking me towards an incomparable oblivion, and somehow that made him the sexiest person I'd ever seen. So when he slammed two fingers inside my slick cunt, it took everything inside me not to scream for him to fuck me, truly fuck me, however he wanted. The urge was pure craziness. I never begged for anything in my life, let alone a boy like the mouth. And then again, I never needed anyone like this before. He continued to pump his fingers into me. The tears stung my eyes. My control was in tatters. I couldn't think beyond the moment, beyond the desperation to come on his tongue. It was confusing and scary and unbelievably awesome. And I wanted nothing more just to stay on his couch and have the mouth lick me until my parents came home. And if they walked in, I hold his head to my creaming cunt and make him stay there until I came. The chaotic thoughts disintegrated at the back of my mind and went to a cloudburst of pleasure as it exploded inside me. I arched my back and nearly fell off the couch, but the mouth held me into place and continued to suck on my clit to the point where it felt so good it was almost painful. But again my legs quaked and I tumbled into the abyss of ecstasy a second time, the walls of my cunt squeezing his fingers tight. My screams became whispers as he licked me clean, then sat back and wiped his mouth with his sleeve. His cheeks were flushed, but otherwise he appeared unfazed. Meanwhile, I felt fucking transformed. I stared at him, and for a moment, I hated him deeply. How was I supposed to go back to fucking Billy and his stupid friends now? How was I supposed to be satisfied with such boring, selfish mediocrity? I'd seen the alternative, and was sold. In just one afternoon, the mouth ruined me for other boys. The lions could go fuck themselves. You have a nice cunt, the mouth said bluntly. Not as good as Nicky's, but still nice. Excuse me? I didn't think they'd be talking. 
He stroked his chin, his index finger brushing his bottom lip, one or two that just kissed me on the brink of insanity. He continued like he hadn't heard me. Kendra's was the worst. Smelled awful. Like she didn't know how to wash herself or something. At least she shaved, which is more than I could say for Caitlin. I could only stare at him agape and unblinking as he rambled on about my friends. A knot formed in my throat and my face burned as the numbing comprehension set in that for him, there was no differentiating between us. He saw and would only remember us as cunts. I never felt so judged. The Mouth by Hubris Horror on Literotica. <laughs> Look up that profile and let's see if there's <laughs> other stories with female narrators that don't sound like any woman I've ever met in any way, shape, or form. Okay! That's the show. I did great. You all love me. That's one last time to go ahead and say you can tip me if you want to. Feel no pressure. What I want to see more than anything is you coming out next week. More love letters. More sexy smut. More silly smut. More poems. Uh, maybe we'll do some other stuff for you as well. I had a great time. Uh, as you can tell, this was a nice, easy one for me. Not nearly uh, as cold out. Cat wasn't pissing me off. Like I said, been taking pretty good care of myself recently. Fingers crossed for some good mojo. I've had a pretty good attitude so far this year, and I've been knocking it out. I've also just had a couple of strange setbacks like the battery and everything. So just, you know, if you've got some spare luck or some spare, you know, good points with a deity or whatever, let them know, because I'm tired of the fucking hassle. Things are already troubling enough, aren't they? All right, guys, thank you very much, and I will see you here next Friday, 10 Eastern. Send those requests into Ali, Aria, or Serena from Ali, Aria, Serena, and all the ladies of the night. Thank you so much for coming out. It would not be a live show without you. Listen to that. I almost sounded professional on my way in the outro. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's one of the absolute highlights of my week. I look forward to it all Friday. I take a big old nap, if not a full-on sleep. I take a bath. I come out. I come ready to play and perform for you. I hope that you feel it, the excitement, the joy, and all the rest. See you next time. Hope you enjoy the podcast. Goodbye.